What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. I'm happy you're tuning in and joining me on this journey as we talk about leadership and its effect on the employee experience. One quick reminder for the month of October 2020, we are doing a giveaway if you leave us a review. So make sure you subscribe and let us know what you think of the Leading People First podcast. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that your intelligence, abilities, and talents are fixed? Or do you believe that individuals can develop their talents and abilities through learning, effort, and persistence? If you have a growth mindset like me, you'll love this episode's People First Leader. She can best be described as a mom, wife, encourager, ally, supporter, Guinness World Record organizer, and one kick-ass woman who always gets me pumped up after I talk with her, Chrissy Roth Francis. Chrissy is a principal learning partner on the learning and development team at LinkedIn. She creates, manages, and facilitates learning experiences for LinkedIn's 15,000 global employees so they can do the best work of their career. Specifically, she runs programs about diversity, inclusion, belonging, growth mindset, and career development. As a mom and wife, and her work philosophies are quite intertwined with her personal life, she looks at every moment as a learning opportunity and a time for personal development. Let's dive right into this episode. Welcome. Thank you so much. That was that was really generous of you. I appreciate the intro. Of course. And just to kick things off, what does it mean to you to lead people first? Leading people first to me means that we are thinking about that person as a human. We are understanding understanding who that human is, what is at the core of their being, what are their interests, who is their family, where are their passions, where is their career going? And how can we lead them or manage them in a direction that makes the most sense for them, where we are helping them, where we are nurturing them, bringing a lot of compassion to the space, also bringing challenge to their space, pushing them along the way, but really seeing every single individual as an individual human being first. That's amazing. And I can't agree more with what you, uh, how you describe it. I mean, again, at the end of the day, we're all people, we're all humans. And sometimes some people forget that people are people at yes. work. So. People are people. Yes, exactly. So uh, I would love for you to share about how you got to where you are today. Oh, wow. All right. The whole, the whole journey, that's what you're asking for, Chris? Whatever you <laughs> want to share with us. <laughs> I, I went to college and was very quickly involved in, the, in my college's onboarding program. So orienting new students to the university. And that very quickly became my passion. That became the thing that I did all four years. And throughout that involvement, I really learned about the power of investing in others and building up people to be leaders, learning that everybody can be a leader in their own way. Everybody has their own strengths and their skills they could bring to leadership. And throughout my time in college, I was planning events, training people, and onboarding people through that orientation program. And I quickly learned that could be my profession. So I ended up going to grad school. I went to New York University uh, from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo to New York University. And I studied how to be a higher education administrator my goal was to work at a college the rest of my career for students, to help students grow, to help them change the world the way they wanted to change the world. 
And I ended up spending about 12 wonderful years in higher education, onboarding all those thousands of people you mentioned, training thousands of people as well, and really getting a, an atmosphere where the entire university can rally around a group of new students to support them, to help them transition into the university, and most importantly, to allow them to succeed. And after 12 years of doing that and really being challenged and stretched in so many ways and blossoming as a professional, I decided it was time for me to take another step and to see what else can I do? How, how can I blossom as an individual? And so I started taking count of, taking stock of what, what do I do? What do I bring to, to an employer? And the biggest things I realized I did at the time was I, I onboard people really well and I train people. I empower them to be leaders. And where does that happen in the corporate world? If I want to leave higher ed, where does that happen in a corporate setting? And though I did not know much about cor the corporate world back then, I knew enough that that happened in L&D. So I very quickly put my sights on learning and development. In the meantime, as I was mulling that over, I was very fortunate to get a, what I call a side gig at an amazing company called Own the Room. I became a communication coach. So I went into tech companies throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, training their employees on public speaking, public speaking skills and executive presence. And that really showed me what the corporate world is like, what is it like to be a trainer in the corporate world? And it got my foot in the door. So through that venture, through all of my experiences I had in higher education, I was able to land my dream job, which is at LinkedIn in learning and development. And I've been there for almost two years at LinkedIn. I've had a lot of challenges. I had a lot of accomplishments as well. And I'm really proud of the work that I've been able to do. I'm blown away by the work that my entire team does as a global learning and development team for 15,000 people. And I am absolutely in awe of the amazing work that LinkedIn does for the world. And I'm incredibly proud to work for LinkedIn. It feels like it is the right company for me. It feels like it is a company that does really good work in the world and is making an impact on individuals, an impact on companies, and an impact on organizations. So really, really happy with my work. And, and it's been a bit of it of a journey. I never really knew where I was going to end up. I, I don't know what the next 20 years are going to look like for me, but I am, I'm in it for the ride and I'm really enjoying the ride and I'm, I'm learning all along the way. That's really amazing. And something I absolutely love about your journey is the shift that you took right from higher education into the corporate setting and finding ways of skills that you currently had at the time that would translate into that corporate setting. I know that there's a lot of people in higher education that are potentially looking at that change and they are nervous, I think, and they're a bit skeptical about what they can bring to the table. So what would you tell those people what to do or how to give them a little boost yeah. if they're looking for that change? Yeah, thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. My advice for anybody moving from one sector to another no matter what that sector is and no matter what sector you want to go to is to have confidence in the work that you've already done, 
realize that your skill set is going to translate and have faith that somebody else out there is going to see that as well. And you might need to really prove to people that your skill set is going to work and your experiences are going to work. But my philosophy is that when you are bringing in experiences from another industry, you are making your future industry even better. You are showing them a different perspective. You are bringing in different skill sets and experiences, and they are going to think differently because of it. I absolutely love that as well. You know, something that I'm finding a lot of hiring uh, organizations right now is that they're very specific on the background and experience that they're looking for, which I think is a huge mistake. You know, there are multiple industries out there that can translate over each other, but it also speaks to diversity, right? Is where you need to bring in new ways of thinking or different ways of thinking into your organization. Because again, you can only think so many ways within your company or within your team. Absolutely. There's, there's definitely a diversity perspective here. And when I, when I was looking at jumping from higher education to tech, I, I knew my skills were going across over. I, I had all the confidence, but it was really difficult to break in. And I was not an economy, an economy major at all or economics major at all. But it's, to me, I think it's a law of supply and demand. It's companies could go out there and put together their job descriptions of the perfect candidate they want with every single year of experience that they need. Because there is somebody out there who is looking for a job who has that experience so they can find that person. But if they lighten up a little bit on the qualifications, they might learn that there are other people out there who can still do the work very well, maybe even better, and will bring in so much more. We'll bring in a wealth of perspectives, a wealth of knowledge that is totally different. And that is one way that you can help bring diversity to a company is by looking at the different industries that people come from. Amen to that. Can't say it any better. We're done. That's, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that that's something that is so true that great people first leaders look at the person's skills and what they can bring. They don't look at the job description and the check boxes that people check off. And that is something that I really hope that we can change and evolve into, into looking at what is the thing that this person can add into our organization? Do they meet a majority of the checks, check boxes? Great. What are the things that we need to teach them and what can we do to bring them on? So um, couldn't agree more. If there's an employer who has eight checks that they are looking for, we know that the women are likely only going to apply if they have all eight checks or the people of color are going to apply if they have eight checks. So we know that we are setting ourselves up for a bit of failure if we are that stringent. We are not going to get the diverse slate of candidates that we know we're looking for, that at least I hope most companies are looking for by now, if we set ourselves up in that way. So we wanna, we wanna be more broad, more inclusive of what we're looking at and open-minded about the different types of skills, experiences, and industries that people might come from. Yeah, that is a great way uh, of also adding in right gender equity and and seeing what's uh, how 
candidates interpret job descriptions and job postings. So that's great insight as well. Uh, going to your work as an own the room coach, you gave a two minute talk and I would love to hear your yeah. perspective about these five important numbers that you shared, 90210. <laughs> All right, Chris, thank you. Yes, I had the opportunity as an own the room coach to give a two minute speech about any topic I wanted. And most people utilize this, this opportunity to talk about something really serious, career related, uh, shifting your mindset in some kind of way. And I decided to take the opportunity to talk about one of the most important 10 year long experiences of my life, which was that of being a viewer of the TV show, Beverly Hills 90210. My brother, sister, and I, we grew up watching 90210. We were young and we watched it till the bitter end, the beautiful and bitter end. And we recognized very early on that we were learning really incredible life lessons from that TV show that our teachers weren't going to teach us, our parents weren't going to talk to us about, we weren't going to experience with all of our friends, but we were watching it through the eyes of these teenagers as they come up in their life. And we took so many valuable lessons from them, but we really were able to talk about that as a family and specifically as the three siblings and talk about what did we learn? What do we know we need to stay away from moving forward? What do we like about certain people? What do we need to look out for when we're in high school and then when we move away to college? Um, clearly the TV show was quite dramatic, possibly embellishing some things that might happen in life, but it was a really, it, it felt to me as a young kid, as a realistic eye-opener for what to look out for. And as I grew, the show grew. And while I was younger than those characters, it really played a, a consequential role in my upbringing. And I think a lot of people felt that way about that TV show or about another TV show. And it was a cool opportunity for me to really stake my claim on what that TV show did for me and did for my family. And I don't wanna underestimate the value it had on my life. That's amazing. I think it goes to show that you can take life lessons from anywhere, even if it's a TV show, and especially one that's as influential as 90210. I'm curious, what is the number one or maybe top leadership lesson you might have taken from that show? Donna Martin had some alcohol at the prom, and because there was a no alcohol policy, she was not going to be allowed to participate in her high school graduation. And when her friends and the rest of the senior class caught wind of this, they felt like it was, it was unfair that they were really going to extend this policy all the way out to not letting her graduate. And they ended up rallying around her so well that it forced the school to allow Donna Martin to graduate. And for me, at a, at a young age, that was a show of solidarity, a show of standing up for your values, um, of what can happen when people come together for a common goal and set their mind on that goal. And I think that's a really important lesson that we can leverage in any issue we're having is when there's something wrong, it's who can we rally around or rally behind or who needs rallying right now? How can we support each other as humans to get, our, to get each other through this really difficult, challenging time that we're facing? 
Uh, and right now, in the middle of this pandemic, seeing the rise in Black Lives Matter, looking at California and all of the, the fires that we've had lately, these are all really big examples of how we need to rally around each other. We need to get behind each other, find what is that cause that is important to you and how can you put your energy behind it? How will you stand up for what you believe in? Donna Martin graduates definitely serves that purpose for me. That's great. I love that. You bring up a really good point where we need to find reasons to rally and support one another. And that's something that not only is important in this people first leadership mindset that we have, but just from a humanity standpoint and a diversity standpoint, right? And uh, I know that you are a very strong advocate, a very vocal leader in uh, diversity and inclusion. So tell me a little bit more about how you really got into the movement and what you're fighting for. Yeah, thanks for the invitation to talk about it, Chris. I can't tell you of a pivotal time in my life where the light bulb went off and I realized I wanted to get involved in diversity inclusion work. What I can tell you is that it's always been a part of me, whether I knew it or not. I am a multiracial woman and I'm from the San Francisco Bay area. So growing up, I was surrounded by people who looked different than me, had different thoughts than me, had different beliefs. And, and I'm talking about within my family. And then when I look outside at my friends and my neighbors, everybody looked different than me. From an early age, I was quite curious about those differences, understanding why people were they, the way they were, understanding their different cultures, and learning how I can go in and out of different types, of, different groups of people. My, my high school, like many other high schools, had its cliques. And at my school, a lot of the cliques were based off of the student's race. There was the white group, the Latino group, the black group, the Asian group. Uh, and what I noticed was that the, the little group of friends I was in, we were made up of people from all of those other groups. We were already racially quite diverse. And I realized that that was really important to me all the way back in high school. And so I, I've continued to leave to lead my life looking for people to be around me who are different from me so I can learn from them, so I can help others learn, so I can be challenged in my viewpoints, and so I could be around people who are different than me. That is important. I ended up moving to New York after college. I told you I went to NYU. And I thought the Bay Area was diverse. I really thought it was one of the most diverse places in the world. And then I went to New York and I learned that New York is a totally different ball game. It seemed like everywhere I turned, there were people who were from countries I had never even heard of. I met my first trans person when I was living in New York. Uh, I, I met people with all different types of viewpoints, skin colors, religions I had never heard of. And it was so eye-opening to me. And that is the way I've tried to keep living my life is eyes wide open, wanting to take in as many different types of cultures and people as possible. So that's been me in my personal life. And what that's meant in my professional life is that I've always wanted to create a culture where any type of person could come to my workplace, 
my programs, whatever it is that I have some type of influence over, and they're going to feel welcome. They're going to feel like there are people who are going to hear them and see them, take them seriously and help them grow and develop. So since my time in working, in, working on college campuses, that's always what I wanted to do is take any type of person and, and make sure they feel welcomed and like they can grow. And that extends all the way to my work at LinkedIn where now I do have a role where I am formally training a whole lot of people on diversity inclusion and how we can be better individuals, how we can be better teams and how we can be a better company. And I felt incredibly fulfilled to be able to do that work as, as part of the learning and development team and to be able to see the impact that those trainings and these discussions are having on individuals and on teams has been quite profound, especially in the past few months, given all everything that's been happening in our world, people are coming to these trainings with a very different mindset. About a year ago, it felt like I, I was almost forcing people to come to the trainings. Like I had to really bring them in kicking and screaming. And now people are kicking and screaming to come to these trainings because they're finally realizing this is important. This is actually fundamental and foundational to our work in order to be a, a successful and inclusive company. And when we talk about people first, this is what it all is. It's, it's setting the foundation so that each individual person can feel like they belong at their company, on their team, and bring their whole selves to work. And we have a long way to go at LinkedIn I think every company and every organization has a really long way to go. As a country, we absolutely have a long way to go, but I am, I'm willing to do my part and I'm happy to do my part to help get us all moving in that direction in, in whatever way I feel like I can do that. It's amazing to hear. I wasn't aware of that, that um, you, know, you had to essentially drag people in you know, 12 months ago. And it's great to hear that people are really working to learn and become better uh, individuals and expand their mindset, something that you've, you know, you shared that you have had for uh, quite a while. And something that I think is also great is that you've found an organization that really reflects the values that you have. Um, you know, the, the type of culture and values that you are looking for that you hold hold up high and true to yourself is something that you found at LinkedIn. And at LinkedIn that you know there are five cultural tenets and six values. I would love to know how you differentiate between those cultural tenets and company values because I think that there is some confusion there uh, especially people who are not sure or not as well-versed in values and culture within organizations. So what is the value in having those two things be different? Ooh, Chris, that is a, a big question right there. You have definitely done your research about LinkedIn. I am quite impressed. And I was not involved in clearly any of the creation of the culture and values. But what I can tell you is that they are totally core to what we do at LinkedIn. They are fully integrated into our work, into the way that we work, and into the way that we build, we create decisions. When we think about the culture at LinkedIn, we consider our culture to be our personality, 
It's how we describe our company. It's how we describe our company as we believe it currently exists and how we want to aspire it to be. So we were always looking to the future to make sure that we do stay in tune with our culture, how we have set. That's great. I love that. So you've given advice on how people transitioning from L&D need to be more open-minded and curious about everything. And we say the same for employees that, you know, especially when they come into our organizations, that they need to be open-minded and curious about learning about the organization. So what are some ways that leaders and companies can create a learning culture to promote that curiosity and open-mindedness? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you said it right when you said it's a learning culture. When we think about anything that's part of our culture, a culture means it is embedded, it is integrated, it is throughout all aspects of what we do. And that's how I do think we need to be seen learning as part of our culture. Learning is not a one-off where you go into a workshop and you're done, check it off your list, or you are onboarded into the new company, check it off your list, or you have a mandatory training, check it off your list. We want to see learning as this is part of our work so that we can be curious and engaged people. And when we are curious and engaged, we're going to be better workers. We're going to come to our teams we're going to start asking more questions. We're going to bring a different mindset or introduce some new philosophies to our team that we can start having discussions around. So once there is this sense of curiosity, we know that the work that our teams do are, are boundless. We, we know that they can do so much more work. They can ask more questions. They can get further ahead. It's the concept of having a growth mindset. It's knowing that if we are going to put in the work, we... We can put in the work, we can learn to do better, we can practice to do better. And in putting in the work, we know that the output will be better along the way. Having a learning culture is not a shortcut. Having a learning culture is putting in the work so that we can learn new information, we can apply it in practical situations, we can apply it on the spot or even in, in scenarios for practice but we're applying it and then we're integrating these concepts, whatever the concepts are into our work so that we, we as an individual, we as a team and we as an organization can all do better. And at LinkedIn we say, so we can always be learning. I mean, that's something that we should always be striving for is always growing and learning. And something that I had teased earlier at the very beginning I know was a big growing and learning uh, moment for you was how you organized a Guinness World Record while you were at Cal. Like, I would love to hear about how that happened. All right. I was at Cal. I was overseeing the onboarding for about 9,000 new students annually. And we had a goal of we wanted to take a class picture. One of the first days on campus, we wanted all those people on the football field in California Memorial Stadium, one class picture which we had never been able to do before. And this was our opportunity. And about six months before, the University of Tennessee did a similar class picture and they made it a Guinness World Record with about 4,000 people. And we knew we're gonna have more than 4,000 people. So let's go ahead and bring, bring on Guinness World Record. Let's go, let's shatter their record. So my staff and I, we embarked on a months-long adventure of courting the Guinness World Record staff and 
convincing them that we were going to, we knew we were going to beat the University of Tennessee's record. So um, this class picture, it was, it ended up being us spelling the letter C. So we had over 7,000 new students forming the letter C on the football stadium, on the field. And Guinness World Records was there. We had many, many people on my team and on many other teams involved in this process to get this world record. And then the event happened. It took way longer to form that C than we ever expected, but we ended up doing it. It felt really cool. The record still stands. I'm waiting for a couple other universities to snatch it away from UC Berkeley at any given year, but currently it still stands with UC Berkeley. And I'm, I'm quite proud to be able to say I, along with 7,000 plus other people, I am a Guinness World Record holder from UC Berkeley. That's so awesome. It's so cool to hear. And the thing that I really loved about that story is that you created this day two experience for new students that was off the charts, right? You know, you, you've said before that, you know, the students could go home or call their parents and be like, guess what I did today? I just set a Guinness world record on the second day of school here at, uh, at college. And that's something that I think that as organizations and companies, especially for those of us who are in the onboarding training talent space, is that we want to create these amazing experiences because we know that if new hires have an amazing experience on day one, their retention rate is exponentially higher than someone who has a moderately exciting or mm -hmm. just terrible onboarding experience. So what's something that you do to create an amazing experience for new employees? Yeah, absolutely. Onboarding is one of the most critical tools we have for employee engagement, employee success, and also that employee retention that you talked about. And people don't always see it in that way. People sometimes see onboarding as another check off your box. It's you got to get your laptop, go get your badge, learn a little bit about your role and you're ready to go. But as you just alluded to, if you have a negative onboarding experience, there's no rebounding from there. It is really difficult for suddenly your manager and your team to get you back on board, get you excited and get you on track. So for me, a, a really wonderful onboarding experience needs to be all encompassing. We are looking at the person, whether, whether from the company's perspective or the organization's perspective, whether we're onboarding one person or we're onboarding 9,000 people. It's, that is the onboarding for that one person. So it doesn't matter what our numbers are. It's we need to make this special. We need to make it consequential, important, and successful for that one individual and that other individual and that other individual, and it is their biggest day that they will ever have to date at this company. For me, I see it as ensuring that we cover the basics of Maslow's hierarchy. So it's getting them the basics, knowing where the bathrooms are, knowing how to get food. Here's your laptop. Here's how you check email. Clearly the basics, which are not that exciting. But then it's how do we get them to actually meet connections? Let's meet some friends. There are other new people who are onboarding here. Let's make sure that you can make some connections here that last beyond the day. And then looking from, I think that what really sets an onboarding experience apart 
is looking at the team that they are onboarding into. It's who's their buddy, aside from their manager. Who is their one person that the new employee can go to, to, to be their confidant, to show them the ropes, and to be that safe person that they could ask questions to. But if we can make that role official and really bulk up that buddy idea of an onboarding process beyond the first day, but looking at the first week into the first month and really the first three months, that person will be so much more successful. And then to your, to your specific question about the really big wow moments, it's what is the wow? Whether we're, if we're looking at onboarding a lot of people at a time, is there a big wow moment that all those people can have? If we're looking at onboarding a couple people at a time, what is their big wow moment? And their wow moment might be in person, there are balloons at their desk. Or it might be when they're working at home like we all are right now, there is a gift box sent to them or a video from the team is waiting in their inbox for them to open. Some type of wow moment that is unexpected that makes that person feel heard, seen, and welcome on their very first day. Those are all great ideas. Um, and I especially love, especially how your team has already adapted to finding these wow moments now that we're all, or most of us are distributed. And that's a great way for, again, a way for the team and the organization to personalize a welcome. It's not just a, here's a copy of the, you know, of a welcome letter from the CEO that's digitally signed, right? Like it's something that is, that really speaks to the excitement and brings that individual excitement uh, into the organization. So I saw in one of your facilitation domination trainings how facilitators need to use the entire space and not just sticking by the podium. Not only is this something that I personally uh, prescribe to as a facilitator in my, uh, when I've taught courses in the past, but I think it's actually applicable from a leadership perspective. So how does that apply to leadership and the employee experience where leaders need to use the entire space and not just stick to the podium? Ooh, yeah. One of my pet peeves in, in public speaking is when people stick behind the podium. The podium physically cuts them off. We can't see their whole body. And from a speaker's perspective, it restricts them. They feel bound to the podium because it's their safety net. But when we move around the room, that's when we really get to keep people's attention. And you get to see the room from a different perspective. So when you look at it from a leadership perspective, Chris, which is a really great analogy. We, we don't want leaders who are, who are talking heads speaking from the front of the room all the time, who only know what it's like to be at the very top looking down on their entire organization. We want leaders who know how to go around the entire organization to see things from the perspective of the very lowest person in that org all the way up till their, to their direct reports. So someone who can see all perspectives and really understand holistically what is that organization's needs, how can they move forward? Because it's only when you understand it from all different perspectives that you could truly be the most effective leader. I remember I used to, I used to have meetings with very high up executive, one of my former roles, uh, hangout meetings, meetings just to catch up, lunch meetings. I really adored talking to her all the time and getting her perspectives. 
And something she would always ask me every time she would say, so what are people talking about these days? What's the word on the street? What are you hearing? She would do that because she realized she was at a level in the organization where people weren't going to tell her what was going on or where she wouldn't naturally hear, hear about certain issues that are bubbling up. So she would come to me. She would also go, I'm sure, to other people and ask them those questions. But I thought that it was, I always thought it was such a subtly strategic move that she made when she would ask me and other people about what's going on at the lower levels of the organization because she might not have a viewpoint into that. So I, I always respected and appreciated that lens that she, she met with me about. I totally know how that feels. Uh, one of the last organizations I was at, um, I consistently had one executive leader come up to me maybe once every two or three months. And he would always say, hey, Chris, can you join this meeting um, or this project? Um, and then, you know, after I talk, you can kind of talk and ask questions because people seem to trust you more. And I'm like, I think that's actually an issue <laughs> on your part because if people aren't talking to you as a leader, you need to connect with them. You need to be able to get on the ground level, like you said, and look at things from their perspective and connect with the people that you're leading. Just because I'm you know, in a people operations talent development role does not necessarily mean that I'm going to understand what they need or what they're going through you have a better idea of what they're going through. It's really important for leaders from top to bottom, no matter where they are, to get mm -hmm. the perspective of the people that they're influencing. Absolutely. And, and I think it, it takes a lot of swallowing of their pride to, to do that, to ask somebody, hey, what's going on? Or Chris, can you, can you try to translate some of this for me? Uh, because as, as leaders, leaders often think they need to know everything. They need to have all the answers. And the best leaders are the ones who admit they don't know everything and they shouldn't know everything. They don't need to have the answers. We need to provide the, we need to create the culture that allows other people to step into that space. Totally. Well, final question. What is the impact you are working to leave as you lead other people? I used to have a personal mission statement when I was in higher education. I believe the personal mission statement is the same and this is the impact I want to leave on people. Many other many people it is their goal to change the world. And I believe that many people I have worked with and worked for and helped nurture along the way, I believe they are going to change the world if they have not already. My goal is not to change the world. My goal is to change the people who are going to change the world. And I believe I've been quite successful in that already in my career. And I believe I also have a lot more room in the rest of my career to continue to do so. So by that, I mean, I wanna keep giving other people the skills to be able to change the world in the way that they want to. I wanna empower people to use their voices to change the world in the way that they want to. And I wanna be able to connect people to find each other so they can rally around each other like Donna Martin graduates and help each other collectively change the world. So I don't, I don't really know what that says about me, but I feel, I feel really good in my ability and my desire to impact other people and to let them go change that world. And I, I believe that the rest of my career, no matter what I end up doing, where I am, 
I, I hope that it will continue to be changing the people who are going to change the world. That's a f- great, great why, a great purpose mission statement that you have. And I think it's a great definition of, again, a people first leader, right? You're focused on the people. You're not focused on this, you know, BHAG, right? This big, <laughs> hairy, audacious goal where it's like, I'm going to change the world. It's like, nope, I'm going to change people. I'm going to help people and support them and empower them. And that's incredibly powerful in and of itself. Yeah. I'm feeling, feeling good about that so far. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much, Chrissy, for coming on to the Leading People First podcast. It has been a pleasure talking with you and thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for hosting me, Chris. You're doing great work. Glad you could join me for this episode of the Leading People First podcast. There's a lot of opportunity to grow those around us through learning. If leaders want to be successful, we need to understand that our success does not come from us, but those around us. And to make our team successful, we need to have a growth mindset and prioritize their growth and development. A quick reminder, if you want to be entered into this month's drawing, make sure you leave us a review and send a screenshot to chrislin at leadingpeoplefirst.com or share your review on Instagram and tag leadingpeoplefirst. Again, I'm glad you're joining me on this journey exploring how leadership affects the employee experience. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.